0: All right. We are back on another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I say it three times every time. Uh, Another really exciting one for me. I have known this guy, I think, for the better part of 15 years, probably even longer than that. I have uh, AJ Kirsch. Would I call you a former professional wrestler or what would I call you? Because you've kind of retired.
1: Yeah, I did have my last pro wrestling match in November of 2022. And Mm -hmm. I know it's kind of the cliche that, you know, nobody ever retires from pro wrestling, especially in the wrestling sense. And I'm still very active in the pro wrestling community as a host, ring announcer, and commentator. But also, just to be super clear, I am very much at peace if I never wrestle another wrestling match (laughs) again. So, (laughs) yes, retired pro wrestler, but never more busy and never happier than with my place in pro wrestling right now. And that is outside the ring. And I'm very okay that it stays that way.
0: Well, I got to tell you, you know, I'll tell you a story. And this was actually really interesting. So there was a time, you may remember this, where I stopped by the PCW work farm when I was Mm -hmm. living in Yuba city and I trained over there for a little while. And it was funny because I feel like I probably came in a little arrogant and you kind of put me in my place uh and i I, I liked it you did nicely you did okay i just i just you know to be an attorney you have to have a level of arrogance to you thinking you're great and you know coming in at six foot seven i thought i'm just this guy and i kept i I argued i kept wanting a key to the place and and nobody would give it to me and you finally just went it's gonna be forever before you get that man and i was like (laughs) i I was like you did and i and I was like, you know what? And, but it was nice enough. And I and I was like, I, I don't take offense at all. You know, I have a bunch of basketball coaches that were way harder. And I go, all right, calm down, Josh. You know what I mean? And uh, But I'll tell you something that was interesting. Some of the guys there who'd been there for a while, none of them are still there. I mean, none of them still wrestle that were there that time. But uh, everybody said they were like, of all of us, AJ's going to go the farthest in wrestling. And you did. Wow. <laughs> you know? You know? um uh and so you've done so much it's been so fun knowing you for so long to see you come from that like long-haired kind of skinny sean michaels punk that you kind of were to becoming the voice of hood slam show up on larry king rock the promo champion turn into bro you know bros of joe brody which is a fantastic character and then kind of turn that into so many really cool different opportunities beyond tough enough like you know, be, be did you did you also go on the Stone Cold podcast?
1: Uh, yeah, I've been a guest on yeah. his podcast three times, one of which I was actually a guest in his home.
0: Wow. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you have you have been everywhere. I mean, you've done lots of work uh, with the WWE, various different places. So let's start by talking about where did you grow up and how did wrestling even become a part of your life?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Mill Valley, California, which is about a 10-minute drive north of San Francisco. And I was just flipping through Channel's bored, on some Monday night and happened upon Monday Night Raw. And I had always been aware of pro wrestling. like It was hard to not be a kid in the late 80s, early 90s, and not know about Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Jake the Snake and all those characters. But I wasn't a devoted fan. I'd never... Watched it regularly. I hadn't been to a show at that point. And something about it just completely enamored me. I was just absolutely captivated by the -the over-the-top theatrics, the physicality, the music, the pyro, the whole presentation. I was just completely taken by it. And it was a really exciting time to first become a fan because it was just two months or so before Hall & Nash jumped ship three Mm -hmm. months before Austin 316 was born, four months Mm -hmm. before the NWO was born, and ECW was just starting to make some noise. So it was just such an exciting... Like, the Monday Night Wars, like, shots had been fired, but it really hadn't picked up yet. It was about... Business was about to pick up. So it was a very, very exciting time to be a fan. And it was also a time in the business that was it was evolving quickly so as i was going from a 12 year old kid in march of 1996 to becoming a teenager and then you've got austin flipping the bird and dx yelling suck it and the nwo (laughs) just being the coolest kids in the room i just as i was growing pro wrestling was growing with me so to this day i describe it as a phase i never grew out of yeah. Well,
0: that's, it's so true. That was such a great time. As somebody who's a little bit older, because I think when all that was going on, I was probably 15, 16. Okay. And uh, um, I had been a wrestling fan since, you know, Hulk Hogan slammed Andre the Giant, right? And so before that, wrestling was so kind of, you didn't really talk about it too much. Like once you got past elementary school, you know, you yeah. didn't really talk. I didn't either. And then
1: I didn't either. I, I, I kind of like, um, like verbally made fun of it when it felt appropriate to do that almost to like, not, you know, I hope my friends don't suspect I'm a pro wrestling fan. Like for lack of a better phrase, it was a very closeted hobby for a long, long time. And then it blew up and got better ratings than Monday night football for several years.
0: Yeah. It was funny. I, I remember a story. I was at a basketball camp at Santa Clara and, uh, I was in a hotel room with a couple of guys. I didn't really know that well. And they flipped through the channels and they turned to TBS and it's WCW Saturday night. And they're like, oh, look at this. Who are these guys are like, oh, that's Lord Steven Regal. And they're like, how do you know? And I was like, "Ah, oh, my brother watches it. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like it was yeah. kind of one of those things you didn't really want to admit. But then as as the NWO and Stone Cold came around, suddenly I can remember the day someone made fun of me for skipping basketball practice to go to a WWE house show Mm -hmm. and another guy was like oh i was there too you know and then i was like oh wait this is actually okay it's not just me and then all of a sudden everybody started wearing the shirts right you know right yeah when people start coming
1: around then it's like oh okay no yeah i've been a fan forever where have you guys been yeah
0: yeah and then suddenly i was the cool kid because i was also i was i was training with ollie at pro i am and then i was doing the backyard stuff so and you knew
1: everything about everybody. You knew who they beat, like the pay per view schedule. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It it's was funny it how that cool. it, it like it's cyclical, like that. I guess, and yeah. like right now, I mean, according to the numbers, at least WWE is doing record business. I, yeah. I don't think the Monday Night Wars are ever going to come back. Everybody, like, no. I think people when AEW first started, people were hoping that it was going to be like the return of the Monday Night Wars or whatever. And I don't think you can ever re create that era because the business and the presentation has changed so much since then you can't as the saying goes put the genie back in the bottle um and it's just you know because now wwe is a publicly traded company they have bigger larger advertisers to answer to shareholders to answer to so you know the attitude era did what it needed to do wwf at the time beat wcw they acquired wcw and ecw so they won but as soon as they won, that shortly thereafter is when they started dialing it back a little bit, and for a while there it was significantly less exciting than it was from say '97 until 2000 and early mid 2002.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting uh, the cyclical, cyclical nature of wrestling because I so I was at WrestleMania 21, the last one too. that wasn't okay. That was the last one that wasn't in the
1: stadium, right? And uh, 22. 22 was in Chicago. And the the reason they did that, because WrestleMania two had that simulcast with LA, Chicago, and, oh, God. It might have been New York. It might have been New York. It might have been New York. Um, But the plan was, and I forgot where I heard this, but the plan was WrestleMania twenty at Madison Square Garden. I think it was New York. Madison Square Garden, then LA, then Chicago, and then ever since then, domes, domes, domes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting to watch. That was, you know, I remember going there and Hogan came back and that was Cena and Batista's first championship reigns and all that first money in the bank. And then I went to 39 last year. Oh, I went to 31 in San Francisco. And then I, I went, yeah. And then I went to 39 uh, last year in LA and the spectacle was huge. And that was the, of all the things, that was the closest I had felt to cuz I remember going to Raw at the Attitude Era and I, and I try to tell my kids I'm like it was like when we went to WrestleMania and everybody was going it was big when when Sammy and uh, and Kevin Owens went over on the Usos that was the closest I'd seen to a pop at the Attitude Era since right, right. And, but I told my kids I was like it used to be like this every week it used to be right. like this every week on Raw and and I started showing them old stuff of, like, when Goldberg took Hogan out, you know, sure. and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is what it was every week on both shows. And even though it's doing record numbers now, I just don't know if you're ever going to get back to
1: that, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it comes with certain stories and certain talent. Um, mm-hmm. I think Cody's story right now is among the best in years. I think Roman's oh, yeah. story is also among the best in years. Um, obviously, it's super interesting with Rock coming back. Uh, Sami Zayn's story was obviously one of the best in a generation, really. Like, just yeah. masterful storytelling. Um, but I don't know that it had the... Can I swear on this? Yeah. I don't know that it had the we-don't-give-a-fuck attitude that the right. Attitude Era had. That was That yeah. was Attitude. Like... I don't know how like deep we want to get, but like the moment the Attitude Era was born was when Vince McMahon couldn't make a Monday Night Raw some week in '97. Shawn Michaels had to cut a promo, stuffed his biker shorts with socks just to make his package look huge, and was jumping <laughs> up and down and and giving the crotch chop to like Jim Ross's face. Right.
0: They,
1: they thought Vince was going to be furious, but uh, as the story goes, and I think I got this from Pritchard's podcast or something. Vince was yeah. like, "That's what we need. We need attitude. We need attitude. Yeah. Damn it!" Yeah. <laughs> and that was that's where the word came from. But you're you're not going to see people stuffing their pants and pointing to their crotch, you know, in the announcer's face nowadays, right. Um, right? So that that I think is what's missing in a lot of ways, and it comes out in moments in people's performances. But that attitude, I think, is what captured the late '90s and early 2000s of pro wrestling. So it's, ex- it's still very exciting, and business has never been better, but I think it's exciting. It has to be exciting in a different way. It has to evolve. Yeah. It has to. Yeah. It had to. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and here's the thing that I think is also interesting. Well, l- before we start, because I do want to talk about Hood's. Oh, yeah. We could, we could
1: dive into wrestling forever. So, yeah, keep, yeah. It, keep us on track. But,
0: but I want to ask you, uh, so, so you – when did you start training? And So let me back up and say, so when I was training at Pro-Am with Ollie. Uh,
1: Old school all over John, for those who don't Yeah,
0: know. yeah. Mark Schizo was training there at the same time who created PCW where you trained. Correct. Um, but was he there when you got there
1: or was it Zach training when you got there? It was Zach, Mr. Primetime Reeb. Uh, who is still going? By the way, in fact, PCW yeah. is celebrating their 25th anniversary show in April. Show, so
0: yeah,
1: huge shout out to Pro Championship Wrestling. Um, yeah, it was Zach and Schizo when when mm-hmm. I came in, and then uh, Ollie would pop in from time to time, but it was mostly Zach and Schizo. Um, mm-hmm. And Zach was definitely a uh, more soft-spoken of the two, and Schizo was <laughs> super intimidating. I can imagine. Um, I remember. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you know, I just, it was uh, what, like October of 2003. I just started college at Chico State, um, you know, about three hours from where I was born and raised. So I was just walking around downtown Chico one night, just, you know, getting a lay of the land. And there's some dude in a luchador mask passing out flyers for – the PCW work farm as it was referred to at the time i think now it's called primetime university and i was just like what is this like there's local wrestling like and i knew of i knew of all pro wrestling because you know beyond the mat was huge and and they were riding mm-hmm. riding a wave of popularity after beyond the mat but i had never seen an independent wrestling show um like a proper independent wrestling show i had never Thought about training. It had been a dream. Like I joined my high school wrestling team to get in shape because I read in an interview with Mick Foley that if you are too young to join a wrestling school, then join your high school wrestling team because that will teach you discipline, consistency. It'll get you in shape, and a lot of those fundamentals really do translate well to pro wrestling. So, if anybody's listening to this and you want to get into wrestling and you're in middle school or high school, join your join your wrestling team. It will whip you into shape, and to this day the discipline that I have that like compels me to watch what I eat and work out every day, I got from joining my wrestling team. So wow. one of the best decisions yeah. of my life.
0: Yeah. Well, So now, now tell me, how long
1: did you train before you debuted? So I broke my ankle six weeks into training, trying mm. a stupid-ass move I was not ready to do. Had to mm. learn that lesson the hard way. It uh, wasn't even a move. I was like <laughs> – you know that uh, front handspring that Jeff Hardy would do over the rope to enter the ring, right? I would. I tried that. I did it once. I did it again to make sure I got it right, and I landed on the side of my ankle and broke it. So <laughs> six weeks into training, doing something stupid, broke my ankle. Um, and then, as I was healing up and kind of just you know getting getting better, um, they were short on referees, so I the point for me of joining wrestling school is to learn how to be a wrestler. But I also realized how valuable it is to learn how to be a referee. So you get used to being in front of an audience. So you get used to communicating with the wrestlers, passing messages back and forth between the wrestlers. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, unsolicited advice, if you are training to be a pro wrestler and you have the bandwidth and time to do it, I hope you also learn to train as a ref because just having That additional depth of knowledge is so, so helpful. And I was not a confident speaker at the time. I was not good in front of crowds. So this was a nice way to kind of ease me in, get me used to being in front of crowds, get used to chatting with the wrestlers prior to and during the match. Um, So long answer to an easy question. It wasn't until October of 2005 that I actually made my debut. Fun fact, on Brian Cage's Major League Wrestling Major League Wrestling? Main Event. Main Event Wrestling Federation at the Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico that he main evented against his idol, Chris Canyon. Dope match. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's awesome. That's another guy that's been really awesome to watch, you know, him to become the the machine that he is now. I mean, man. Absolutely. What a monster.
1: Yeah. And, One of my favorites. And moves like a cruiserweight. He does flips and kicks and he just he's a freak. He's yeah, he's a machine. Yeah. He is an effing machine.
0: Yeah, he is, man. And that's what's been cool to watch over the course of the I mean, man, it's been since ninety-eight that I've kind of been around, but really, wow. really, really around, you know, heavily involved. You know, 15, 20 years now, and uh, and to see guys like you and Jeff Cobb and Will Hobbs and Jr. Kratos and Brian Cage and Thatcher, you know, even, yeah, Thatcher, all these guys kind of make it uh, has been really exciting. Because when let's be honest, when we first started back in the day, this was kind of a wasteland. You know,
1: oh, yeah. you didn't you know nobody made it out of NorCal. You know, NorCal and, was quiet. Yeah, it was desolate yeah. out here, yeah. and it yeah. is. Far more fruitful now than it ever has been.
0: Yeah. So in your career, what would you say? Who who's been your favorite opponents?
1: Uh, my trainer, Mr. Primetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Dutra. He and I have never had a bad match. Um, mm-hmm. Anton Voorhees, the link to the future, uh, also one of my best friends in and out of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see who else. I am like endlessly happy with my final match against Mike Rain, who's just another NorCal, SenCal, Legend. Um, One of my favorites. Yep, yep. And then uh, he and I wrestled once, but it was a hell of a match, and I always loved teaming with Nate Rules. He and I had Mm -hmm. a really fun run in all-pro wrestling as the tag champs for a long time. Uh, God, who else? I don't know. Those are the ones that come to mind first.
0: Was there anybody that you didn't get to work in the area that you wish you would have?
1: Hmm. Boyce LeGrand. Yeah. Yeah. I've Uh, never worked one on one with Boyce. And I think between the promos leading up to it and the match itself, I, you know, I I think he and I would have had an amazing match. Um, But on that note, um, the same can be said for both promos and for the match with Big Ugly. Um, mm. he and I have never worked one-on-one. I don't know that he and I have ever even been in a ring together in front of a live mm. audience, but, um, but yeah, he's trained so many stellar wrestlers. He himself, I don't know how he's kept himself in such good shape for so long. Again, yeah. just, uh, dynamite on the mic. Um, so yeah, boys the grand and, and big, ugly are two guys that I wish I could have not only had a match with, but had a nice long built up program with.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. So now, uh, what would you say, you know, do you, you've had so many moments. Let's first of all, first of all, let's talk about tough enough, you get into tough enough. And, and while you're there, I mean, so we see on TV, and we see some of the things with Bill DeMott, you know, they were calling you tumbleweed, doing those things, how much of that stuff was happening
1: off screen? Well, let's see. That's an interesting question because we were not around the coaches unless the cameras were on, so Mm -hmm. we never got to know them, whatever they were like when the cameras were off. If the cameras were on, Mm -hmm. it was it was they were wearing their trainer hats or drill instructor Mm -hmm. hats or Mm -hmm. you know guidance hats, whatever it was. But they were always in a training capacity. So we didn't Mm -hmm. get to know the humans until after Tough Enough was done, and we you know, saw them at, at WrestleMania and we saw them at raw and we saw them again when the finale was being aired and everybody was super cool to work with. Um, mm-hmm. but we just didn't get that, um, just more laid back humanized version of themselves until after the show was done shooting. Yeah,
0: man. So out of the guys that you, you met there, um, who did you think
1: you had the best relationship with? Of the trainers or the contestants? Uh, both. Um, who did I have the best relationship with the trainers? Let's see. I felt like I got along well with all of them, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was always it was always super easy to be around Steve. even though he was mm-hmm. he was, you know, stone cold. He was very much stone cold every time mm-hmm. we were were working together. But I think he had a little bit more variety than anybody else did. Bill DeMott was definitely the drill sergeant. Trish Stratus Mm -hmm. was the one that would offer maybe a little bit more insight and motivation when folks were getting down. Booker T was kind of the, I guess, not soft-spoken, but very wise with his words, very insightful. Um, And Steve, you know, there were moments where he was – Downright funny. There was moments where you could tell that he was impressed with what you were doing, and then there were moments where he would just stare a hole through your face with just so much as a glance. So mm-hmm. I think because I saw more sides of Steve on the show, I would just have to say Steve. But of the contestants, like Eric Watts and I are still very good friends. Martin Casaus, who I will go on record as to say, I think he should have won the whole thing, and I think he would have had he not injured his ankle. Um, mm-hmm. and it was actually couple of years ago where I launched, um, the tough, excuse me, tough talk podcast, where I actually was on, on track to interview everybody from tough enough, all the contestants, uh, the trainers. Um, I just, my heart wasn't in it. Um, and mm. I just stopped doing it. Um, but interestingly enough, I have no idea where Andy is the, the guy who mm. won the whole thing. I, he,
0: mm.
1: he won tough enough, went to FCW before Florida championship wrestling became NXT. Um, I think he was released not too long after that. Last I heard he was wrestling in Puerto Rico, but that was like a decade ago and I don't see him on social media. I like looked him up to try to get a hold of him. I have no idea where this guy is.
0: Mm, Interesting, man. Now, now of all the things that you did in in wrestling, um, you know, you mentioned you're at peace. What would you say was your favorite thing?
1: god wow
0: because <laughs> there's uh, there's so many things i mean you st- you 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 did defend the uh what was it the the uh YOLO county Tag Team county yep. tech
1: yep that's yeah. right technically yeah. recognized as a champion in wwe i might add so yeah. i have <laughs> that go. i've got that yeah. um man oh, god there's so many and i don't mean that in like a celebratory type, self-celebratory type of way um so there's a there's a promo that i cut at hood slam um Mm. and you know hood slam is definitely outside the box when it comes to to actual you know to most other pro wrestling and Mm. this was in february of 2017 and every february was our drag show. We called it Femme Doubt, where the men would dress as women, the women would dress as men. And it was just kind of a gender bender, just it's this clash of drag and wrestling. And I had, I had dressed up as Tinker Bro. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm, I hesitate to open up a political can of worms. And so I'm, I'm just going to leave it at Trump had just taken office. And there was a lot of uneasiness and it was our drag show and so i kind of felt compelled to share how i was feeling about everything and and why people at hood slam did not like how do i put this it was basically an anti xenophobic speech it was it was mm-hmm. it was a speech that just let everybody know that like there's some shit happening out there but when I tell you to check your fucks at the door, which I do before every hood slam, it's like part of my opening sermon, if you will, um, I let everybody know that we do not care where you came from. We don't care what color you are. We don't care where you call home, who you pray to, if you pray at all. Um, We don't care how you identify who you like to fuck or what you have between your legs. All we care about is that you came out to have a good fucking time And Oakland, we are going to have a good fucking time tonight. That's like the the brief snippet of it. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of this – because like earlier that fall, I had just won the Rock the Promo Championship, which we can get to in a moment. Um, I had had tough enough. That was done. Like I'd already enjoyed a lot of moments, but to be able to use pro wrestling and my confidence as a public speaker – and my confidence in this brosive character which is a hyper masculine spoof on toxic masculinity now i'm dressed as a woman as tinker bell and you know we're just in this very unsettling time in our country to be able to put all of that together and put a message out there that it's like we don't care about any of that we just care that you came out to have a good time um mm-hmm. You know, like Rock the Promo was great and doing the voice for 2K19 was great, but like those are all fun feathers in my cap, but that was probably the defining moment in my career and like how I've been growing as a human. Like when you put wrestling wrestling, and my experience in it and the human AJ Kirsch together, that's the moment that comes to mind first.
0: Well, you know, and that's what's so interesting about that. I find that really fascinating because you've done so many things in wrestling, right? I mean, you you mentioned a few of them that we haven't even talked about yet. You were the first and only Rock the Promo champion. You were the voice of uh, the, the creative player Buzz, right? Was it Buzz? That's who Correct. it was. In, in WWE 2K19. I mean, you you've done some pretty amazing things in wrestling. And it's really interesting to me that the the that there was a passion behind that promo that that sticks out. You know what I mean? It, oh, it's, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting how the characters and the moments where where the real human comes out are the most memorable in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching. I've seen that. I wasn't there, but I've seen that promo online a number of times, and you can tell that it means something to you. And I'll tell you. I'll tell you my experience with Hood Slam. For those of you who, you know, and my my Mormon friends, you know, obviously, being a Mormon, everything I would heard about Hood Slam was probably not what a Mormon would typically want to go and do, right? I mean, <laughs> very, very much, you know, LGBT friendly, you know, pot, pot smoking friendly, stoner humor, you know, the whole blueberry pancakes thing is the, you know, we, so I was like, you know, I had a chance to go with, uh, with Big Money and Derevco. They said, hey, you want to come with me to Hood Slam? yeah so we we hop in the the car and go and uh, i didn't know how i was going to be received because you know quite frankly you know even back then you know the the, the the ties are getting better but the mormon community and the lgbt community they've got a you know there's a little bit of a a rift there it's gotten better over time as it has with i think everybody is everyone's evolving over time that is too but they're a little behind the curve i think and uh so I didn't know how I was going to be received. And I've, and I got to tell you, I was received with open arms and I had a great time, you know, that's what it's and all about. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fun. It was a great time. I, I had a, a it, it made me laugh. There was some great wrestling, Um, hung out with, you know, a lot of people just, just had a great time hanging out, you know? And so, uh, and I think there needs to be more of that, right? Yeah. I think there needs to be more places where people could come together and it doesn't really matter what your views are or who you are or what. People can just get to know each other.
1: Right. And I think that separates Hood Slam from most other pro wrestling out there is that it is a place where people come and hang out. You don't go and sit down and watch the wrestling show. Hood Slam, I'd say 90% of the Hood Slam audience are not wrestling fans. They don't watch Raw or SmackDown. They don't watch AEW. They just want to come out and have a few drinks, maybe smoke a joint and yell and scream and cheer and boo and get lost in the absurdity of these characters and the storylines developing between them. And mm-hmm. my job as brosif Joe Brody, which I'm the host ring announcer and commentator at hood slam is to do my best to catch everybody up as quickly as possible. So that if it is your first, first hood slam, you know who these characters are, you know why they're fighting. You are immediately emotionally invested in what's going on. And, if we did a good enough job, you'll want to come back next month. So right. it's right. less about, you know, it's less. I, I, like, I compare it to music. Like if WWE is more kind of pop produced, glossy, shiny music, Hood Slam is def- is like acid metal. <laughs> and I don't even know if that's <laughs> a real genre, but if I could if I could name if Hood Slam was a genre of music of music, it would be acid metal.
0: Yeah, so the, the moving moving back uh, to what we talked about earlier, the Rock the Promo uh, challenge that you joined in YouTube, you I mean, how many entries
1: were there? I didn't get an exact number, but it was in the tens of thousands. And yeah. the gist was, you know, the Rock was starting a YouTube channel, and this is again back in like 2016. And to launch his YouTube channel, he started Rock the Promo, which was a single elimination pro wrestling promo tournament and for those who don't know pro a promo is pro wrestling jargon for talking smack on the microphone and it was going to be judged by legends in pro wrestling um let's see some of the legends that didn't judge my rounds were hurricane vicky guerrero tommy dreamer oh god i'm blanking on a few of the other ones but the ones that did judge my rounds were in this order, Kurt Angle, Christian, Cody Rhodes, Mick Foley, Edge. And then the final promo was done in front of the rock himself. And then he made the decision about who won the rock, the promo championship. And I'm yeah. very grateful that he chose me. Yeah. You know, it
0: was funny. I remember cause I followed that. I remember watching when that was all going on and uh, Eve, everything from the, the, the quality of the shoot, to what you were saying, all the stuff, the, the, the comedy you used, it was like, it was, it was clear as you got up that you were on a, on a different level as everybody else was. So it was pretty, I was like, he's got to win this.
1: You know what I mean? (laughs) He just, thank you. I mean, I thought so too. You know, a lot of folks like shot this on their phone or whatever. And I actually got uh, Mark Johnston who has since become a videographer for AEW to like, mm -hmm shoot for me. And, you know, I have a little bit of experience with iMovie, so I edited it myself and I just kind of wrote them on the spot um, and just had fun with it. You know, like, like I know the of character so well, I've been, I've been performing as this character for, it's 2024, 12 years now. Um, and I think when you have been a character for so long, it's easy to just kind of slip into what that character would do or how that character would act in real life. And I think a lot of folks were playing wrestler when they were shooting their Mm -hmm. promos. And I hate when people play wrestler, it's disingenuous. You see right through it. It's inauthentic. Um, I immediately, as an audience member, I call bullshit. And so Mm -hmm. by giving this character a real life feel, but still having catchphrases and, you know, things I would, I would like lean on from time to time. It just made the character feel more real than I think most of the other, if not all of the other promos that came in. Nice. I, uh, yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it, it was obvious
0: that you had been doing it for a long time. You know what I mean? And I go, I, he, he's got it. It was, it was, it was not a surprise when you won, you know what I mean? And so now, now moving on. So, Let's talk a little bit about uh, you know, some of the promos that you've cut in um, in Hood Slam and also just about your your personal status in the LGBTQ community. Cause you I remember seeing a I don't know if it was a Hood Slam or if it was a Tourette's without regrets, but you gave a really good kind of, I wouldn't even call it a promo, more of like a talk about your sexuality. And it 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 touched me. What you were saying so maybe you can talk a little bit about because this is what i think is so interesting looking at you knowing you for as long as i had before that i had no idea Mm -hmm. uh i would have never guessed uh well first of all how do you do you have a, a, a way you identify right now
1: yeah i'm pan pansexual which okay like i in short i describe that to people as i think hot is hot regardless of plumbing or pronoun
0: that's okay. it yeah yeah so so i when i heard your story and particularly your story which i'll be was a little was <laughs> a little graphic but at the same time when you said it the way you described how you were feeling about it and how much it bothered you that you were scared to even share it it really it really struck me and uh, and it really, I appreciated it. And so, I, I want to ask you a few questions so people maybe get an idea. How how long had you recognized uh, that you were not
1: just a cis white male? Um, um to be clear, not a straight male, uh, um, right? I, I am okay. cis and I am white and I am very much at home in my male body. <laughs> so, so, so hey, let me say,
0: I'm still learning these things. I have a daughter who's in theater. No, it's funny. I have a a daughter in theater, and she has some of her friends are a member. They they all call themselves queer because they don't, you know. And so sometimes they come over, and I go, Okay, so how does
1: this, what am I supposed to call? I get it. No, there's, there's, I mean, I'm trying. No, I get it. And I appreciate (laughs) you trying. And like, you know, if somebody Mm -hmm. doesn't say the correct thing, like, I'm not going to be like, you know what i mean like that doesn't get yeah that doesn't help anything it's just like yeah you're you know and even you you know like you're accurate i am a cis white man um Mm -hmm. and i'm again very much like very i've never once felt like i was in the wrong body i love Mm -hmm. what i'm working with right here so Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i would say that i first started like feeling, you know, like I, I, I started noticing the attraction to more than just women in like middle school um, okay. and like didn't tell a soul, um, you know, I, I came from a generation, I mean, either on the tail end of a generation where people were using gay as an insult, like that's gay, like, yeah. you know, so yeah. like I already, I already knew there was some shame around mm-hmm. any being anything other than straight. Um, yeah. So I just very much kept it to myself. Um, and really didn't even mention it publicly until God, probably a decade ago. So when I was at like 30, so yeah. just kept it to myself for a really long time. I told some very, very close friends that I was like by curious and interested in mm-hmm. exploring that, but you know. I also remember a time when we didn't even have the internet. That's how old I am. That's how old you are. <laughs> yeah. so it's like, what right. am I supposed to do? How do how do how does this work? Um. So thank you, you know, like thank you, internet, for <laughs> giving me a chance to to figure some stuff out.
0: Right. So, and that's that's what I, I think I want to know is that, like, talk talk me through the. The struggle it must have been i I grew up in the nineties when it very much was like we knew there were gay people, uh but there I mean transgender was not even a really a serious thing yet I mean we knew there were transsexuals is what we called them back then, but we there was no pansexual, there was no non binary none of this stuff it was just there was gay and there was straight, and you know gay was like. You know, people would use gay as kind of derogatory term. Right. So nobody, you know, now I see a lot of my friends who are now would identify on the LGBTQ, you know, spectrum, of, for lack of a better term. Sure. And, uh, and and I could imagine that it was very hard for them when we were all saying, you know, that's gay and all these different things. So tell me, as you're as you're kind of trying to figure this out and you notice the attraction, did you kind of suppress it? Or was it something that you were kind of shameful of, uh, but were were interested in pursuing?
1: Yeah, the latter. Like, definitely felt mm-hmm. some shame around it, um, and s- still wanted to figure it out. Like, you know, you can't mm-hmm. really, you can't silence something that is speaking to you from within. Um, mm-hmm. You just can't. Mm-hmm. You can you can mm-hmm. you can quiet it down. You can try to numb it. You can try to outrun it, but it will find you. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it, again, it, it was like more in college and shortly after college that I, um, started experimenting a little bit and, uh, you know, even then it like physically felt great, but still mm-hmm. a lot of shame, like felt shame because it felt so good, um, mm-hmm. because it felt right. Um, and so then can with I that. can I ask you,
0: a, can I ask you a question right there? Sure. So. The, the question I had was at the time, uh, and this is just an education for me at the time, were you feeling shameful because you thought, man, I should be with a woman because that's what we do? Or was it like shameful because you were worried that maybe you were gay? Like, Does that make sense? I guess where was the yeah, shame coming
1: from? I guess the shame was I had always presented as straight. Um, that's mm. been the story I've told everybody. Um, and I mm-hmm. dated women. Like I, you know, yeah. I really enjoyed women, still do.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> um, right. But it was just, you know, so that I felt I could be honest and truthful with people about, but I didn't about anything other than that.
0: Right. Okay. All right. So I-
1: to kind of keep it to myself or like worry about. And also like, it's it's so funny. Pro wrestling is one of the most homoerotic forms of entertainment in the world. It's like when you break it down, it's like oily, muscly guys play fighting in their underwear. Like that's when you when you break it down like that, it's it almost sounds silly. You can break down other sports like that too. Like, you know, baseball is just guys in their pajamas, like throwing a ball around. It's like when you when you yeah. take it out of context, it's a little weird, but Pro wrestling, for being as homoerotic as it is, also has this just hyper masculine machismo macho man, which I almost think kind of comes from the idea that at one point you really couldn't let anybody know that it was fake. Like Mm, mm -hmm. pro wrestling was in the closet for quite some time. Pro wrestling had its own little dirty secret that it would literally assault reporters Uh, for even Mm -hmm. insinuating that pro wrestling was anything other than a legit athletic competition, which it never has been. Um, I I actually think pro wrestling did itself a wild disservice by denying it for so long. Um, Another discussion, which I'm happy to get to if we have time to Mm. do it. Um, But yeah, it was just, it wasn't the story that I had been telling everybody else about me. And I Mm. wasn't sure how that story was going to be received by friends or parents or anybody, really. And especially Mm -hmm. people in the pro wrestling industry. Like, I did not want Mm -hmm. to be the butt of jokes or ribs or hazing or harassment or any of that stuff. So it just felt not right, but it felt right at the time to just keep it to myself.
0: Got it. And it as uh, as you grew up closer to the time when you kind of came out for for what, what you would like. I, I don't know if the, with pansexual if that's what you call it coming out of the closet kind of situation. But as you're doing that, um, do you feel as though like it, it, there's more shame as you get closer to that, or did you feel uh, like t- tell me the I guess the process of of coming out and, and announcing it, making it public.
1: Yeah, it wasn't more I mean, I was slowly shedding the shame as mm-hmm. I was approaching the the moment that I would come out, which I did on Facebook. Like I just put up mm-hmm. a brief post. I think it was Pride weekend in maybe 2014, maybe 2017, I don't know. It was um, the, I'd have to go back and check. I want to say it was 2014. But anyway, um it was somebody slid into my DMs and was trying to sell me on the idea of God. And I am not religious in any capacity whatsoever. Um, and he just did it in a way that just, it's, he mentioned something about like queer people going to hell. And mm-hmm. I was like, fuck you like this is (laughs) shut up like that is not that's bullshit anybody who tells you is that is bullshit um and in that moment i was just like you know this feels like a good time this feels like a good time to let everybody know um and so it was just a brief like like literally it was just the type of like dear facebook uh happy pride weekend and for the record i like girls and guys love AJ, something mm. like that. And I, I did it on Facebook because I thought to myself, if anybody really has a problem with, with it, they'll either DM me and I can address it. If it's a friend of mine who doesn't like it, or I can just block the person. Uh, but if they really have a problem with it, they'll have a problem with it to my face. And then we can talk mm. about it. And not that I'm like, I've never been in a fight in my life. Like I don't want to fight mm. anybody. Um, it wasn't with the idea that I would fight somebody, but it was like if they have an issue with it, if it's really going to affect my life, then we can talk about it like adults and not behind uh, you know, the veil of the keyboard. So it was that just kind of religious imposition that Mm. I was like it feels right. It feels right. Like, Mm. So it was, it was, it was a little bit of a, a, pu- a an unintentional push and it was me pushing back. Mm-hmm. Now,
0: just you know, I'm a, I'm a religious guy, so I have to ask, you said, you mentioned the, the, the selling you on the idea of God, would you consider yourself agnostic or atheist or just non-religious? What would you consider yourself?
1: That's a good question. I, um, I would have identified as atheist for a long time. I think I still do, but I am open to the idea that there is something connecting all of us. Mm. Um, We're all made of the same stuff. Everything in the universe is all made of the same stuff. Um, I don't think there's a god in the in a religious sense. I don't like 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 the Judeo Christian form of God. Correct. Correct. Well, or any any. Any of them. Uh-huh. I just, that's mm. just not, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't, I think there have been a lot of catastrophes and injustices and horrific events because of people refusing to accept other people's beliefs. Mm. And uh that continues to this day, obviously. And does, I don't yeah. think, I don't think it's any one religion's fault but when i look at the and i'm not saying that there isn't a great deal of community and empowerment and love that does come from religion Mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of really awful things happen as a result of people just refusing to accept other people's beliefs and not just beliefs but skin colors and sexualities and way of life and if it doesn't affect you, leave it alone. Yeah. Is it it's an
0: interesting as a religious person who agrees with a lot of what you're saying, it's a it's a hard, it, it's a hard thing when um when religious I would say scripture can be interpreted to be almost whatever you want it to be,
1: you know? Right. And, right. and that's hard. It's very twisted. It's very like it's a lot of religious scriptures are uh, manipulated to suit people's individual agendas. Um,
0: Yeah. What I I often say to people is, is uh, I think there are too many people out there who morph the religion to themselves rather than morphing themselves to the religion. Ooh, well put. And yeah. And uh, and so. That is actually, I'll tell you. You know, I, I've gotten back into wrestling. Finished training with Johnny Jeter. I've been wrestling now for a little over a year, though, taking very few, you know, select bookings here and there. And uh, the character I've created has kind of been a character to play off of that, because I've noticed that I do. It's not really a religious character per se, although he does kind of come off religious. I noticed that was like a lot of these things that you that I that I believe a lot of the quotes that I see from the Bible in different places, different scriptures. If you say them in one way, they can be truly motivational, and inspirational. But if you say them in a different way, they can sound really creepy and weird, right? right? And and uh, so I kind of play on that, and I, and I do see that. And it's unfortunate that people will find these scriptures from four or five thousand years ago and use them in a way to kind of hate people, which is exactly the opposite of what religion is supposed to do.
1: Right. That's it. If you're using yeah. religion for hate, you are part of the problem. If you're using yeah. religion to inspire fear. And rather than acceptance and hope, you are part of the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that goes with a lot of things. I think if you're doing that with politics or anything, yes. if you're using it as you're using it to divide and hate, it's it's not as help, it's not helpful, right? And so, and there's
1: so, there's still so much tribalism um, in the yeah. U.S. and elsewhere where it's like, well, if you're not this, then I don't like you, or if you're not that, then I don't like you. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so easy to be divisive when I I agree with you. I think the basis of religion is to be inclusive and build community and strength and lift each other up rather than step on the person next to you to get yourself into a better position because they don't believe what you believe. Yeah. So
0: I'm going to ask you a question that probably sounds a little silly, but I I want to ask it anyway. Maybe it won't sound silly. I can't wait. But I'm curious as somebody who who has never been particularly religious, I have kind of morphed my moral fiber, uh, my, my morality towards um, you know a, a, a view of God and kind of rules and commandments that you follow um, and, and, and whatnot. And that's kind of morphed on how I have viewed the world and then also how I kind of present in service to others. As somebody who's never, you strike me as someone who's never really been religious you know, wh- where have you found that uh, your sense of morality? Is it through society? Is it through just your your upbringing? Where did you find it?
1: Uh, that's another really good question. I think all of it. Um, mm-hmm. I my parents are very morally grounded people. Integrity mm-hmm. is paramount to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're obviously raised in a capitalist american society so it's hard not to take cues from that but also it's it's kind of it's not exceedingly difficult to take cues as to what it does wrong as well like you know there there was a time where i valued my worth as a human based on my productivity which is a very mm-hmm. capitalist way of thinking and i'm sure everybody who has a say in our economy would love it if i kept thinking that way and was just grinding <laughs> Nonstop and making a lot of money and spending a lot of money. Um, and that just, it doesn't feel right to me. I think, you know, going back to um, just what feels right. Like I, I listen to my intuition. I listen to the voice inside mm-hmm. me and, and, and when something feels right or when something feels wrong, I don't always act on that voice. And nine times out of 10, when I don't, I regret it um there's just you know can you take care of yourself and still take care of the people around you can you yeah. make a difference in people's lives in a way that makes their lives better and yours yeah. um can you help people when they need it can yeah. do you have enough then do you have any to spare like i don't think that those things have to come from scriptures or a religion to resonate with people I think it's uh, it, it doesn't make them any less valid when they do. Um, mm-hmm. but when I think about you know super churches that don't open their yeah. doors when there's a flood, mm-hmm. what the fuck what the- yeah. <laughs> what would Jesus right. do? like G- you know what I mean like uh, yeah. and this isn't a good example, but Joel Olstein has a like, I don't know, dozens of millions of dollars mansion Um in, I don't know, text. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where, but like he's somebody who just preaches the message and the hope and the value of God. And then when people who have literally sent him money need help, where is he? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, Infuriating. It's legitimately infuriating, and again, I want to be clear that not all people who who believe in religion are like that, and most of them are. Thank God. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just when I see that, and it just gives, it gives religion a bad name, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's just very contradictory. It's very hypocritical. Um,
0: You know, it's interesting. I, I look at that. Here's how I look at that because um because i do i do agree with a lot of what you're saying i do i think that the one thing especially the stuff about when you have a when you have a ton of money and you're not sharing it that's definitely not in fact that's that's completely different than what jesus said if you look at the scriptures there's many there's instances where a rich man comes to him and says how do i follow you and he goes sell everything you have to the poor and come follow me and then Mm -hmm. and then they give everything away and some of them can't they won't right right and so that's that's exactly, but but I think that the the my my view of religion is, is remembering that we're all imperfect, trying to do the best we can. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's somebody's weakness that they are stingy, they're greedy, they have a hard time. Other people, maybe it's gluttony, right? You know, uh, sure. they consume everything. Uh, some people, it's other things. They have their own passions and desires. And all of us, the concept of Jesus to me is that. We have somebody there to help us right those wrongs when we can't write them ourselves. It's very almost like a AA, you know, right. um, where it's like he's a situation like, answer. Yeah, exactly. Now not every. I tell you, not everybody agrees with me, and a lot of them use even within my own religion, who use our religion as a way to hate on other people. Um, and i found it very interesting that there are people who can use the religion to hate on other people, but can legitimately think they're not. Mm. Which is actually really, which is really kind of a an interesting cognitive dissonance yes. that I've I've been which I've been exploring, but I I think it's it's uh, it's a refreshing to hear because I think there's a lot of people within uh, my church in particular there, you know I don't know how much you know about the Mormon Church but there has been some people who have who have started to leave the church for various reasons, and some people will hang on because they go well I don't know how i could be like how i could raise my kids without the church
1: right and right. Then, and i it's, go i'm pretty sure you could you know a yeah. of people do <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know well, I, yeah. I, to your point i think a lot of people also uh attach their identity to religion and they yeah. don't know who they are if they didn't have the scriptures or a certain set of rules or if they didn't go to church every sunday or whatever it is when i i feel like you can still be a very good person and you can be a good friend and a good neighbor and a good parent and, and child, everything. You can be a good human, um, with or without it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, that, that identity thing is actually really interesting because I think we both know people who also do the same thing with wrestling, right? It's oh, their yeah, with yeah. identity.
1: And so yes. they can't leave you're, it alone. Yep. You know? You're, I know people who do that with wrestling, with their job, um, with, you know, hobbies that I can tell they just don't, they're not really that into it anymore, but they're like, they can't let go of it. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't, again, I I think a lot of the things that I'm saying here, it's not just religion. Um, it's, it's, it's how people identify it's community. I think a lot of people, you know, um, wish they could leave step out of a certain community without feeling like they're leaving it behind forever without being ostracized from it forever. Yeah, And that's uh, hard, right? That is hard. Of course it is. Yeah. Cause there's, yeah. you know, your friends are in that community and you, you, you built up reputations and relationships because of this certain community. So it's like, yeah. and that was something I had to do when I retired from wrestling. I was like, well, if I'm not chasing down this, this dream, if I'm not, actively involved in this pursuit, then who am I? Um, And I did like a lot of, like, I've been in therapy for years and and I'm a big Mm -hmm. believer in therapy. And so I like was very proactive about all those feelings so I could actually enjoy it as it was happening. Um, And again, still very much involved in wrestling, but that in itself was something that had been a driving force, if not the driving force in my life since I was 12 years old until I was, what, 39? So... Yeah, it's it's scary stuff when you examine like who what are you made of? What are the things that make up who you are? And when if one of those things doesn't feel right anymore, then you got to figure out who you are.
0: Yeah. Talking about therapy, that's interesting. I've talked to a lot of therapists on here. <clears throat> Tell me what it is that you get out of therapy.
1: I get somebody with an unbiased opinion who's only purpose is to help me shed light on how I'm feeling about something. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of times, if you go to friends for insight or help or advice, a lot of times, they just want you to feel better, which Mm -hmm. isn't a bad thing. But maybe feeling better is not what you need. Maybe you need to feel kind of shitty. Maybe you need to and not again, not in like a punishment sense, but maybe you have some dark, icky feelings about something, and you gotta sit in those feelings. You gotta process those feelings. You gotta understand why you feel this way. And there's no wrong way to feel about something, but you can choose to understand why you feel this way about a certain thing. Or, as I said earlier, you can choose to numb it, or try to outrun it, or distract yourself. And again, guess what? Those feelings are going to be waiting for you. They will have far more stamina than anything you can throw at them. So it's, it's, and again, it's not just like, Hey, calling up a friend and having a phone conversation. It's like, no, no, no. You, you are having about an hour to do nothing, but talk about your feelings. You're off your phone, you're off social media. You're not at work. You're not doing anything else but sitting and giving your feelings the time and attention that they really deserve.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you, uh, you bring that up. Uh, you know, I've, I've had my, I've definitely had my experience with therapy. Some of it worked great. Some of it didn't, but I find that, that sometimes you have to be forced to kind of go through those bad things to, you know, to, to process those bad feelings, to get to that next stage. Oh yeah. You and, have to. and, Yeah. And it's so helpful to, to do that, especially like you said, with somebody who's unbiased, you know, Uh, it's uh, sometimes exactly what you need is to be able to really just sit in that discomfort and you need to be forced a little bit to do it. Right.
1: And the, the Mm -hmm. only way out is through with, with your feelings. Like you can't, they, they are on no timeline. Like you just have to, you have to, you have to sit with them. And if you're going to sit with them, you yeah. may as well like invite them in and get them a drink and like, like hang out with them a little bit. Like, it's like, yeah. it's scary because you don't, you may not like what you find and what you, what you find and what you're exploring is you. So you have yeah. to find and uncover and talk about parts of yourself that you don't like, like fear or jealousy or impatience. Um, yeah. But everybody has those feelings. Like we're all human. Nobody is immune. To those feelings. And so to have a an outlet that you get to sit and explore them, yeah, it might suck, but it's like a good workout. Like like working out's tough. Exercise is tough. That's the point, is that it's challenging and it forces your body to adapt. So it's like if you're if you're putting yourself in a position where it's gonna be uncomfortable emotionally in the instance of therapy. You may not like it as it's happening, but you will always feel so much better once it's done. So much better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the thing that uh, I find really interesting is you might appreciate this. One of the things I found so interesting, you mentioned you you found your worth and productivity. I noticed at some point I was like, you know, why is it that I can't just be a lawyer? Why do I have to be a lawyer and a wrestler and a podcaster and the best? I can't just take my kid to Disneyland. I got to take them to Disneyland and bubble world and the pier and you know, I mean, it's gotta be a super weekend. And I was like, why do I, why do I do that? Why do I exhaust myself and stretch myself? And I realized that some of that was something going on within me where, you know, uh, a feeling of not necessarily like I had to, I had to go over and above to show my love. And I have to, sometimes I keep myself incredibly busy so I can kind of avoid things that I
1: don't want to look at. You right. know what I mean?
0: Like, yep. And uh, and you seem to be like, yeah, I've done that too. You know? Oh, all and, the
1: time. I have, a, I have a to-do list that is always like a mile long, but I will always do the things that I can like check off quicker and easier. I'll get that done first just to feel like I'm being productive while the things that I really need to get done are at the bottom of the list and I just keep pushing them at the bottom of the list just because I don't right. want to do
0: them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, a, it, that's the type of stuff when you, you know, you go through therapy, it not only allows you to put words to what you're feeling, but then also even go a little bit deeper. So, you know, it's not just that you're, you know, what you're, you're kind of avoiding, but you also know why you're avoiding it and and the steps you can take to kind of affect that. And so that's yeah. really,
1: it's, you know, it's, it allows you to get a better understanding of yourself, which is kind yeah. of a superpower, really. Like yeah, if you, yeah. It it allows you to have a better handle on your feelings. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, even in moments where it's like, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, like it could be the difference between raging and letting it ruin your day and coming home and being like, I can't believe this motherfucker cut me off in traffic. And now your whole family has to hear about it because what, and then it's like, what are you really mad about? Like, what are you what's really digging did this person cutting you off in traffic really ruin your day or is there something bubbling underneath the surface that's just really gnawing at you and so it just gives you a chance to like have a better understanding and handle on your feelings so it's like if somebody does cut you off it's like oh i lost a half a second big deal right. um or yeah. if you do lean into the anger that it causes you it like and i've done that before but it's just like what am I really upset about right now? What's bothering me? It's probably that thing at the very bottom of my to-do list that I just haven't done yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, here. so, so moving to another topic now, now, since, since kind of retiring from wrestling, and even before you retired, you started doing this, but you are also, you're an actor, you're, you do voice acting, you are a minister. So you officiate weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, you MC. you just got through a super bowl weekend you were down at the super bowl doing that which you, we had you scheduled and you lost your voice so we had to reschedule <laughs> because you were so busy doing oh. your your stuff which i was happy to do so now i i get a, a sense that all of these things kind of bring you some meaning um what what is the meaning that you get from say like officiating a wedding or doing you know, you, you strike me as somebody who does things that they're passionate about more so than things that are going to make you financially wealthy per se uh i'm sure you'd like to be wealthy doing your passionate stuff but i'm saying like you seem you seem to be passion driven what is it about these things that make you
1: enjoy them so much i love being a presence that brings people together Mm. um and so as i like pivoted from wrestling to hosting ring announcing and commentary and it was actually years even before that when I realized I needed to be a confident public speaker if I was going to pursue pro wrestling. I I just love being that that presence that mm-hmm. sets the vibe for an event, and and I over these you know again twelve years or so since I've been hosting on a regular basis, I've I now know which parts of my humanity to, t- to tap into depending on the vibe of the event. Cause at Hood Slam, you depend, was I hosting when you came? Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you saw me at like my biggest and loudest and just like, you know, like I'm, I'm as loud and at times as obnoxious as I can be. I, I feel mm-hmm. like I need to fill that room with, you know, several hundred people in it um, with my presence. Uh, at, a, at a wedding, for example, I get to bring out my tenderness and like a splash of humor from time to time. Um, and that's a lot of fun, too. When I'm hosting at the Super Bowl, it's also a very big, excited, family-friendly presence. And again, being born and raised in the Bay, I got to host the 49ers stage at Allegiant Stadium at the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday. So it was like... Mm-hmm people are, are there, they're already excited. They want to be more excited. So it's my job to, to tap into the part of my humanity that allows them to be more excited. Um, I've also done everything from Make-A-Wish events to corporate fundraisers to music festivals and stand-up comedy shows, uh, burlesque events. Like if there's tech conventions, I just did CES at the beginning of the year. Like if there's... Mm-hmm a microphone and a stage and an audience i can host that event and yeah. and it again goes all the way back to pursuing wrestling cuz wrestling is so many different things it's part sports it's part drama it's it's very theatrical um and there are tender quiet moments and there are moments that require your brains to be splattered against the wall and mm-hmm. so i think And not to mention, like in most wrestling shows, you can't hear the commentary. At Hood Slam, I do the commentary over the PA system. So everybody in the room can hear me call the action, discuss the storylines, everything. So I'm on, I'm the first character out there and the last character to leave. I am on for over three hours at a time straight. No breaks, no bathroom, no nothing. So to have that rapport with an audience for three solid hours, I've gotten really good at reading an audience and knowing mm. where they want to go and knowing how to take them there. So mm. to, again, to kind of summarize the joy I get is to be like, we're all going on this ride together and I'm driving. That yeah. is the fun of it. That's the fun. That's awesome. and to see people's smiles and to see people like chanting and just like at, at a hood slam, or to see, like, just to see people having a good time, that's when I'm having a good time.
0: That's awesome. Tell me, now, if somebody wanted to kind of follow in your footsteps in this in this way and do some of the things that you're doing, how, how does one get started? What is something that you could recommend for someone who, say, even any of these things that you're doing, they all seem to be kind of interconnected?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say do what you can to become a confident public speaker. Um, you know, maybe that's just singing one karaoke song at your local karaoke bar because you're afraid of getting up in front of an audience maybe it means attending some open mic events like that um performance you mentioned at tourette's without regrets which is now known as ruckus and rumpus revival that was definitely pushing a boundary for me because i'm used to being this character who's loud and braggadocious and you know just over the top and that was just me telling a very vulnerable story so Mm -hmm. You know, you got to kind of like therapy and like exercise, you got to find out what you're not great at and you need to do more of it. And it's going to be scary mm-hmm. and it's going to be uncomfortable, but you can do it. You can mm-hmm. do it.
0: Yeah. You know, I got to say, there's something about you that I've always really enjoyed. I, I, we talked off air about how you were one of the inspirational voices that I followed during COVID when we were all shut down. You've always struck me as somebody who is a, it is a, a a rather positive person. Uh, even though you, you are, if anyone follows your social media, there are times where you can tell that you may, you're very honest about when you're struggling with something or you're kind of going through a life change. Mm -hmm. How how is it that you are able to stay so positive and what would you recommend to other people to help stay positive, have a positive mindset?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, if, Feels like a right time to plug my socials if anybody wants to follow me. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Twitter and Instagram at AJKIRSCH and Facebook, YouTube. Uh, I am AJ Kirsch. Uh, what else? I'm on Twitch, TikTok, although infrequently. Anyway, if you search AJ Kirsch, you'll find me. Um, yeah. I think part of it comes from that I'm pursuing my passions. I'm, pers- mm-hmm. I'm, I'm putting time and energy into the things that make me feel alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I take care of myself. Like, I'm, you know, I hit 40 this past year um, and I'm in the best shape welcome. of my life. So, welcome to
0: the club, man. It's,
1: it's not so bad. It's not so <laughs> yeah. bad. Everybody's yeah. freaking out. I'm like, well, you know, you take care of yourself, you exercise and eat right. You get some need little, you, need, you need a little
0: you you need a little more you need a little you need a little more gray to look just distinguished.
1: <laughs> it's coming though. See I still <laughs> I prefer to be clean shaven but when I let it go for a couple of days I'm like oh yeah it's starting to happen. There it is. Yeah, yeah
0: little little salt and pepper. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: That's great. Yeah. Um, but I I I think I wear it well. Like I'm I'm mm-hmm. you know I never shut down the voice of my inner child. Like going back mm-hmm. to being 12 years old and falling in love with wrestling. Like the fact that i've pursued it for so long um, even if i didn't have a lot of the moments that i had i get so excited when i'm just pursuing something that makes me happy or that i enjoy the idea of doing maybe i like the idea of doing it more than actually doing it which is part of the journey you got to find out what you don't like if you f- want to find out what you do like so mm-hmm. it's it's finding a balanced lifestyle between yes making money but also pursuing things that make me happy, taking care of myself and showing up for myself first and then showing up for everybody else. And that might sound a little selfish, but if you don't take care of yourself and if you prioritize everybody else because you think that's what you should be doing, you are not going to be showing up for everybody else the way they would want you to because you are less than your best. So I absolutely go out of my way to prioritize self care. Like I said, I work out every day. I watch what I eat. I try to get as much sleep as I can, but it's always the first thing to go. Um, (laughs) I am admittedly far more dependent on caffeine than I would like to admit. Um, And I'm working (laughs) on that. But I, I take care of myself emotionally, physically, mentally. Um, And I, I've never lost track of what makes me happy. And I always work to develop those pursuits further. Yeah.
0: You know, and I don't think I I say this a lot on here. I don't think people understand truly the connection between
1: physical health and mental health. Like it's paramount, absolutely paramount. And yeah, it's tough. Like I, you know, I've been doing a fitness-focused lifestyle for more than 20 years. In fact, like during the week, I am a personal trainer here in the San Francisco mm-hmm. Bay Area and also like virtually uh on Zoom. So, like, you know, this is it's not a small part of my life, but the fact that I can host five days of Super Bowl events in a row, and the fact that I can do three hours of non-stop commentary at a hood slam, and the fact that if I have to wake up at four in the morning. I don't say I look forward to it, but I do it because I know I'm waking up that early because I've got something awesome happening that day. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just can't, I cannot overstate how important it is to take care of yourself. My mom just hit 80 years old, 80. And she is sharp and mobile and funny and healthy. And my dad's not far behind her. My dad is, I think 70, I think he turned 78 this year. Um, and on his birthday every year, he cranks out one set consecutively of pushups to match his, his birthday year. And he's, wow. he's going to do it. He's going to do it again. He's done it every year. Um, and so I've had some really good models of my, you know, my parents just take really good care of themselves and it's not always fun to like get salad instead of fries. And it's not always fun to, you know just choose the healthier option as opposed to the more delicious option. But every time I tell people I'm 40, they're like, get the hell out of here. And it's like, it works. Eating right and exercise, sleeping and drinking enough water. It works. And it's never too late to, as I like to say, get your fit together.
0: Absolutely, man. It's so true. So now what's next for AJ Kirsch? You're 40. So you got, you, you got, you know, uh, another forty years, at least. At least we yep. hope. We we assume. So, what Here's what off. do you think next?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm having such a blast doing what I'm doing. Like 2024 has already been the best start to any year in my life. Um, as I said, I presented at CES, world's biggest tech convention, the first week in um, January. I just got back from a three-week vacation in New Zealand with my girlfriend, who i have been with for over four years at this point. Um, Immediately after New Zealand was five days of hosting at the Super Bowl. And so I'm very fortunate that as you and I record this, I don't know when this drops, but as you and I record this, I am giving myself a little staycation. I'm just prioritizing rest. I'm taking care of myself. I'm taking care of projects that got put on the back burner because I've been so busy. Um, but this weekend I'll be hosting a comic convention in Stockton. It's called Stockton con. Um, it's mm-hmm. a two day convention. Trish Stratus, Lita and Hacksaw Jim Duggan are among the biggest names are that are going to be there. The, the guy who voices SpongeBob SquarePants is going to be there. So it's like <laughs> some pretty, some pretty nice. dope guests and conventions are another genre of live entertainment that I've been hosting lately and having an absolute ball because I'm a fucking dork. Like, I like, (laughs) like between wrestling and video games, and like Legend of Zelda and Spider Man, like, I'm still again, I I am still very much listening to the inner, my inner child. And my inner child, my 12 year old, is thrilled with my 40 year old. That's one of the reasons, too, why I think I'm just still so excited about life. Um, and then what I've got a Hood Slam coming up in Oakland on Friday, March the 1st. I'm guest hosting a karaoke night in Oakland, middle of March. I'll be in Philadelphia for the week leading up to and through WrestleMania. Um, oh, I'll see you there. I'll be there. Oh, dope. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just I'm in a personal training during the week, like I said. So it's like I am so enjoying helping people dial in their discipline and their eating habits. and And some folks are coming to me not even knowing how to work out or use the machines at the gym. And so, to be able to kind of introduce people to a more mindful and motivated approach to their fitness just makes me feel great. So it's like mm. I don't know, everything's going pretty great. Everything's going pretty great right now, and I'm kind of of the mindset that like I'm self-preservation. Like I'm trying not to enjoy it too much because it's probably not going to be this good all the time. But at the same time, life's pretty yeah. fucking good right now
0: yeah you take wins when you get them right oh yeah so,
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah yeah all right so so i want to you've given me a lot of time and i appreciate it i'm gonna ask you three questions i ask everybody okay, okay. so here's, here's the first one what would you say is your biggest uh um uh what would you say was uh,
1: your biggest success in life um oh my god my biggest success in life my inner 12-year-old being proud of my inner 40-year-old
0: that is a that's a great one to have it's yeah, really my, cool you know uh, it's it's really cool like i look back so you know i've had as we all have i've had some really tough times and at the same time i've had some really good times and sometimes they're at the exact same time yeah and yep. um, but it's it's really cool when you look around and everything that you hoped you would be you have been mm-hmm. and that's not to say that you don't have more to do, or that you're not—you know—you're nobody's perfect, and there's things we could work on. But the fact that everything that we ever hoped would come true has—that's a pretty—that's a pretty good
1: yep. a, good deal. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the phrase I go to is grateful, but far from satisfied.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Exactly. So, n- next question: What would you say is your biggest failure in life, and what did you learn from it?
1: Uh, I did not set out what I achieved to do. I, I, I was not a WWE superstar. Um, Mm -hmm. that was the goal when I was 12 years old and it was for my entire adult life. And, you know, I, there's no way that they're, they, they've known me for since 2011. Like I've been on the radar Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. If they wanted me, they would have given me a phone call by now. And so that's, my biggest failure but at the same time i would not have enjoyed all the moments that i've enjoyed nor would i have carved out the life for myself that i have had i signed with wwe um how do i put it i would have gotten eaten alive had i gotten signed to a contract shortly after tough enough eaten (laughs) alive i was not ready to be in that environment. I was not ready for that ride or that schedule. Um, I wasn't, there's just, I, I wasn't confident enough. I was, I was just not developed enough emotionally to be there. Um, along the way though, like between that time and now I've absolutely grown by leaps and bounds in every conceivable way. And I have been able to enjoy moments when I've literally had to remind myself out loud that I wasn't dreaming and could have never predicted what would have happened to me. So to my biggest failure, I think, is also one of, if not my biggest successes, which resulted in the 12-year-old being proud of the 40-year-old, in that um, everything that I've enjoyed, my entire experience, has been based on chasing what feels right to me. Like chasing my own authenticity, and had I not chosen to pursue a career as a WWE superstar, none of any of this would have happened. None of it. Yeah. And so I've learned that I am much more than a wannabe WWE superstar because it didn't happen.
0: No, that's that is a great way to put it. You know, I've told I told somebody recently. I actually think it was my son because he's you know he wants to be a rock star. He's a great guitarist. He's a big he's a big choir guy. He's Hoping to get to the Berklee School of Music in Boston, he's wow. doing really great. He's 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 a quite quite a talented kid, but uh, and of course you know I would say that because he's my my son. But anyway, uh, I believe
1: it. I mean, it, it's probably yeah. true.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but the thing I was telling him was I said, listen, you know, uh, I when I was 18 years old, I thought I was going to go off to the Wild Simone Training Center and train to become a pro wrestler, tour the world, and and main event WrestleMania. And I was like, and then I went on a mission and then I came back and, you know, now I have kids and I went to, you know, I'm a lawyer and I'm all these different things. Right. So, uh, you know, I've been involved in wrestling. I've done a lot of great things, but I never, I never got to do that either. And I go, but you know what? I have some of the coolest experiences and coolest stories that I've ever had. I mean, I was like, I, I had Shinsuke Nakamura's first trip to wrestling in, you know, you were, you were there, you were part of the show, you know, the new Japan show we did, mm-hmm. right. Like new Japan's first, first foot in America was in Gridley, California on an SWF show. You know so what I wild. mean?
1: So it's wild. so crazy.
0: And it's so crazy. And I just sit there and I said, that's something that no one can ever take from me. And that's something that did I make it? No, but that's a pretty freaking beautiful failure. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And, and so uh, sometimes, Beautiful you know, failure.
1: Is that, is that a phrase? I love that phrase.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know, but it, it is now you can have it.
1: I love it. Thank you. Beautiful <laughs> yeah. failure. I love it.
0: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, man, I mean, every failure, uh, every failure I've ever had has put me exactly in the position I should have been in, mm-hmm. you know? So now the last question I have for everybody is sometime down the road, you're going to pass away and there'll be a funeral. Yours will be well attended. I'm sure. And, uh, when it is someone will give a eulogy. What is the one thing you hope somebody says about you in your eulogy?
1: Um, he left everybody he knew better than how he found them. Yeah,
0: I can tell you, man. That's that's true. Like especially, especially, um, it was really interesting because when when I was running SWF. You were always very nice. But I did I did feel that chase from you. And I think when you kind of dropped that off, you became much more – even more positive than you were before and just such a nicer – just a generally nicer guy. You know what I mean? Not that you were ever a bad guy. I'm just saying right. like you could, you could feel the positive energy off of you and you've become just a you, – you're – quite an inspiration even though we probably don't talk all the time you know uh we don't see each other very often i watch everything you do and it's just it's inspiring to see somebody be so passion driven and and continue to be successful so keep doing what you're doing man
1: i really really appreciate that thank you and yeah you know we, we we haven't talked much over the past several years but it's always a joy when we do and I'm honored that you would invite me onto your podcast. I had a great time chatting with you and, uh, yeah, I think I, it was, it was refreshing to be able to disagree on certain things and still be able to have a conversation. Like, you know, Isn't that nice? doesn't happen often. Great. It doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And it's, it's a shame that it doesn't happen more often because we're not, you know, we're not trying to, change each other's minds. We're not arguing with each other. This really did just feel like we're sharing our experiences and our perspectives. And it's again, it just came off as a real breath of fresh air. So thank you for inviting me onto a platform that allows that to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And real quick, one more time as people are listening, tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Yeah. So I'm on socials at AJ Kirsch. That's A-J-K-I-R-S-C-H. If you want to check out my upcoming gigs i'm all over the place linktree.com slash aj kirsch that's also on my socials um let's see you know again stockton con um saturday the 24th and 25th hood slam in oakland friday march the 1st best of the west uh super show in central california that's going to be in merced on saturday march 9th and um i don't know Keep, keep an eye it. out for where I might pop up next. I, yeah. I, I love doing a lot of different things and, um, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for anything. Awesome, man.
0: For those of you listening, subscribe. We got a lot more coming up and, uh, again, AJ, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.